Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including an experiment gone wrong, a scientist who knows not the line between God and man, a bunch of zoo animals on the loose, and a non-Euclidean space with a weird, not-super-cozy furniture arrangement. I am Mikey McCaller. And I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing we saw this week. What went down in your life, outside the scary basement, that spooked you down to your bones? Oh, man, I watched a video, Mikey, that changed my life. Uh, Not for the better. (laughs) I sent it to you, and I will include it in the show notes. It is a video of an owl. So I love animals, and I've seen many a cute owl video, but this specific video of a barn owl, it is standing, there's two of them, the way it is standing, the way it is moving, Mm -hmm. the noise it is making, uh, it makes me realize, like, yeah, that's how great alien, um, like, uh, scary stories probably came to exist, right? They looked at a barn owl that looks and moves like this. Mm. Its mouth is not moving, yet it is hissing. I didn't know (laughs) owls could hiss at you. It yeah, it's hissing is, through their mind into your mind. I wouldn't be surprised if it was doing that. <laughs> um, and of course, like the way it moves, like it looks as if its head is moving independent from its body. Mm. Um, like its neck is a tentacle. Yeah, yeah. And I'm it's just, just doing, like. I'm doing it with my head. I'm doing it. Yeah, little, Mikey, ooh, Mikey's ooh. doing it in real life. Not ooh. as scary, luckily, <laughs> as the owl. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be shrieking and leaving the room. Mm, um, get it. But yeah, did, uh, did you know that owls could hiss, Mikey? Did you know they could do this? No, I thought that was a snake exclusive thing. And in fact, if uh, a snake were to find out that an owl is chomping at their trademark hiss, the lawyer <laughs> blood get in the streets <laughs> or blood in the uh, courtroom, <laughs> blood in the barn. Uh, I'll tell you what's scary in me this week, Roxy. I have been watching a lot of YouTube true crime videos, and Uh-oh. I. Usually I think they're fun, even though they involve murder. I'm just like, ooh, a little uh, interrogation of a suspect. Let's see if they can get him to crack. I watched one on Casey Anthony. (laughs) You might remember. Oh, my. As the lady who murdered her own child. And it just chilled me, this idea that she was uh, putting on this character. And, uh, like, that's what kind of got me. Is this before they found out? So it's like when she's still pretending? Essentially, coming up with the She's still pretending, yes. Okay. Uh, everybody yeah, kind that's... of knows what's going on. and But it's just about getting her to admit it, I suppose. Right. What's specifically chilling to me is that people uh, have the ability. I Because I'm so bad at this. I'm like a really bad liar. The fact that some people are good enough at lying that they can just be like, well, here's an entire story. And they can manipulate people all throughout their lives <laughs> until they get... To the police like it's so scary the idea that you could meet somebody and they're just manipulating you the whole time i feel gaslit as a friend yeah no that's terrifying and i mean kind of honestly you never really know people you can try and do your best to know someone as much as you think you can but mm-hmm. there's going to be that inner world like even we've talked about this before too like even you yourself as a person are still trying to figure yourself out mm. to some degree like i, I Unless there's some people who are just really on top of everything. They feel like they know everything. They can do everything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the perfect human like that exists. The perfect human like that does not exist. But the perfect demon robot? Oh? Ooh, here he comes stomping on over the demon bot. 
That's quite the compliment, you know, Mikey. Calling him the perfect, yeah. the perfect guy. Perfect thing. He's as good Richard. as a demon robot can be, which yeah. is still evil. Like, his attempts to steal our souls are at least fun. <laughs> like, yeah. he's not uh, stabbing us in our eyes and, and forcing us to submit to pain to give him his soul. He's just like, oh, watch this movie that you like. Mikey and Roxy. This week you were assigned the 1982 film Poltergeist. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Uh, Roxy, I did watch Poltergeist, did you? Yes, I did watch the movie Poltergeist. Then you may keep your souls. Not just because of watching the movie, but also because that eye-stabbing idea was a good one that I will take under consideration. Mikey, how could you do this? When will Given I learn to keep my big mouth shut? Yeah, man, we're great. Okay, we get to look forward to eye torture next week. Love it. <laughs> Wonderful. But that is not this week. That's a problem for next week, Mikey and Roxy. This week, Mikey and Roxy just have to talk about the movie Poltergeist. And for anybody up at the cellar basement door who's listening in who maybe hasn't seen the movie, Roxy, let's do a little plot summary. Okay, yeah, let's do a plot summary. We open on Carol Ann, a five-year-old girl who hears voices coming through the static on the TV. We then meet her dad, played by prolific actor Craig T. Nelson, whose real estate company developed not only their house, but the entire neighborhood's houses. We then meet Carol Ann's mom, Diane, who finds Carol Ann's bird, Tweety, dead in its cage. While she tries to flush the feathery corpse down the toilet, Carol Ann demands they hold a little bird funeral and puts a rose and paper towel and a picture of herself and her dog in the bird's little cigar box coffin. We also meet Carol Ann's eight-year-old brother, Robbie, who is afraid of an old tree outside his bedroom window and a large clown doll that sits at the foot of his bed facing him as he sleeps. He could just move it, yet he doesn't. Could move it. There's also an older sister, Dana, who doesn't have a lot to do with this movie other than screaming and having a breakdown. Yeah. Dana, overlooked. Finally, things start picking up when Carol Ann sees a skeleton hand come out of the TV all ghostly-like. The house then has itself a little earthquake. Carol Ann gets all weird and creepy and goes, they're here. Just like that. Her mom's all like, who's here? And the next day we find <laughs> out. It's ghosts. Inanimate objects start moving by themselves. Chairs are arranged into stacked towers in the blink of an eye. And Diane and Carol Ann find a spot in the kitchen floor where anything that stands upon it, human or object, is pulled by an unseen force across the room. One night, that scary old tree comes alive and tries to eat baby Robbie. His parents fight the tree off, but this just gives another ghost in the closet the opportunity to steal Carol Ann. She is sucked into a bright light and is just gone. They do hear her voice, though, and it's coming from the TV. Craig T. Nelson from Coach goes to paranormal investigator Dr. Lesh to ask for help. Dr. Lesh gets her crew together and they go to the house, only to find it is now extremely haunted. Shit's just flying all around, lights are going off and on, there's protoplasm everywhere. It's just a big mess. While the paranormal team investigates the strange occurrences, Craig T. Nelson from The Incredibles goes on a walk with his real estate developer boss and learns the entire development, including the home where his family lives, was built upon a graveyard. It's like he wasn't even a little concerned about hauntings. After Diane and Craig T. Nelson from NBC's Parenthood send Robbie and Diana away, honest Christ, Robbie got a scene, Dana didn't, for some reason, they call in Tangina Barons, who is a psychic. Tangina prowls the house and notes that the poltergeists have Carol Ann. 
and that they want her life force, a light inherent to her that reminds the poltergeist of what it is to be alive. They're dead, so they want it. Also, Carol Ann is surrounded not just by wayward souls, but also a dark presence. The beast, as she calls it. But it's chill. They're going to get her back. Tangina learns that the gateway to the other side is in the closet. And when they throw a tennis ball inside, it's spat out downstairs, covered in protoplasm. Under Tangina's instructions, Diana calls to Carol Ann and eventually ties a rope around her waist and goes in. She comes out the other side with Carol Ann back, safe and sound, if not kind of gross. Tangina declares the house clean. Then, in what sure seems like the end of the movie, the family prepares to move away, finally getting out of that ghost house. As Craig T. Nelson from The Incredibles 2 tells Diane he's going to go tell off his boss. That night, the kids fall asleep in the old house. And guess what? Go show up again! That clown doll tries to get Robbie, while Diane slips in the pool and finds dead bodies all floating around her. Finally, Diane runs inside, grabs a hand of Robbie, who then grabs a hand of Carol Ann, and pulls both kids to safety. The entire family then drives away as the house implodes right before the eyes of the boss, who is there for some reason. When the family gets to a motel, you best believe Craig T. Nelson from three episodes of CSI New York rolls the TV out of the room. And that, Roxy, is Poltergeist. That is the movie Poltergeist. Uh, gonna be honest with you. My favorite Craig T. Nelson role, NBC's Parenthood. He's so good. He plays I don't Zeke, think I've ever the seen that patriarch. show. Oh, okay. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Poltergeist. What a movie. What a scary, fun movie. This is like the funnest scary movie I've ever seen. It's very fun. So Spielberg had a big role in this. It is directed by Toby Hooper, who is the guy who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So Steven Spielberg was like the producer on it. And so this has very much like his fingerprints all over, it, even if he was not the director. And there's definitely some horrifying things that are much more Toby Hooper speed. But like the soundtrack, a lot of just the sweeping shots and like story beats and characters themselves feel like they are kind of ripped out of a Spielberg movie, but then dropped in this horror show, mm -hmm. uh, which makes a very fun kind of juxtaposition and vibe to the whole whole movie. It feels very fun. It feels very grand. It feels very... It's like a huge spectacle. Now, uh, I agree. This movie feels like a Spielberg movie with little drips of horror in it. And there are a ton of rumors out there, Roxy, that Steven Spielberg actually directed this movie. Yeah, that and is he, a big rumor. And I was kind of poking around on it. And it, it, it kind of gets into like this big question of like, what does a director actually do in a movie? And it's like, make final decisions. So if that's kind of what Steven Spielberg ended up doing... And was it telling actors what to do and what set designers to do? That sounds right. But this feels so much like a Steven Spielberg movie. And it's really fun and good in that way. It's really, like, nostalgic. It feels like everybody's at home and cozy and fun. And, like, there's jokes that feel Spielbergian. Uh it's, yeah, it's like the, the setup to the beginning of the movie where it's showing you the sweeping shot of suburbia with like this upbeat, happy music. There's a dude like on a bike carrying <laughs> um like several a six pack of beer, like more like two six packs. So he can't really hold it correctly. Right, and then like yeah. these kids prank him to make him drop it so like they can get a beer and the guy's just like running in this very uh -huh. like overdramatic, not really realistic way. Like you would stop and pick it up. But no, it's a movie. He's got to get going. Uh, and he's running to a like football party with the boys mm -hmm. which includes craig t nelson at his house and then craig t nelson 
has a fight with his neighbor with a remote where they're just try- switching off the channels because they have the same TV remote. Uh, his neighbor's kids want to watch Mr. Rogers and the boys with Craig T. Nelson want to watch the game. And so they're just clicking back and forth. It's like a goofy thing you'd see in a comedy family movie, not mm-hmm. a horror movie. Uh, it sets a very fun, interesting tone. Uh, two things. I do want to say um, when this guy, this bizarre lunkhead guy uh, drops the beers, there's one that's spraying a uh-huh. stream and he just ignores it and like yep. runs through the kitchen and says hello to uh diane and then sits down with the boys and it's still spraying and i wanted that spraying beer can to be there throughout the entire movie what just <laughs> like in the background <laughs> of every scene <laughs> yeah it's just like they continue on they have a whole movie without it but then the other thing i wanted to say is that this whole um remote control is on the same frequency between these two neighbors bit this is how movies made today are gonna feel in the future when we're like oh we don't have cell service i can't call it like once cell phones are obsolete and we're just telepathically beaming messages to each other people are gonna be like what are you talking about you didn't have cell service and you couldn't call the police just mind beam them yeah exactly it's very cool to see how much of a snapshot of its time this movie is Mm -hmm. which is uh 1982 is when it came out Yes. So you've got, like, all the old fashion and, like, interior design and technology and stuff. The teen girl has, like, a cord phone that she's on the phone with trying to hide, Mm -hmm. like, later that night to be like, I wasn't talking to my friends. (laughs) There's also this, um, it's probably my, I have a couple favorite scenes in this movie, but, like, my first favorite scene was when uh, Carol Ann finds her mother trying to flush her dead bird. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's like played kind of for comedy, too, in a way. And they do this very sweet little funeral where Carol Ann, like, finds little things to keep the bird comfortable in death. Mm -hmm. And then they bury him. And it's so it's so sweet and and nice. The thing is, too, though, in that same instance where they're saying goodbye to the bird, she's like, can I get a goldfish? Like immediately on to the next pet. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And then later. Exactly my experience having a pet as a child. uh, (laughs) When my dog died, I was like, well, does this mean we can get a new dog? (laughs) And then also later when the uh, construction workers are starting to dig out the uh, what's going to be the pool in their backyard. The backhoe just then unearths the bird's grave and it just tips mm-hmm. over. Yep. Which a lot is... of respect for the dead uh, from this real estate development company. Yeah, which is kind of the point. Like, that was a foreshadowing thing that when I thought back to it later, I was like, oh, okay, I see what mm. they're doing with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, oh my God, those backhoe men, the, the construction dudes. So our main character, debatably, I guess, the, the father of the family um, he works for the real estate company that, like, housed the entire neighborhood. So he's selling these houses. These work crew dudes ostensibly are, like, his employees, or they would answer to mm-hmm. him. Um, so they hit on their boss's daughter, who was a teenage mm-hmm. high school girl going mm-hmm. to call, uh, going to high school in the morning, who the mother is watching them do it and being like, oh, <laughs> boys will be boys, um, yeah. which is gross. And then she leaves and comes back, and that same construction guy is drinking out of... He's reaching through the window of the house, drinking her personal coffee mug, and then dipping his gross workman hands that have been in the dirt outside into, like, a family pot of stew or something to, like, Mm -hmm. sample it. 
And he's just like, hey, great coffee, Mrs. Whatever. And she's like, oh, you get the fuck out of here. And like closes it playfully, closes the window playfully. It's like, oh, my God. Is this just like also a product of their times that this is like, oh, yeah, that's a funny gag bit to have this happen. Like, gross. Yeah, it almost feels Fire like this man. Uh, like is this little bits out of like almost a John Waters movie <laughs> where things are just like super campy and like this isn't how human beings behave. But yeah, it's like the volume is turned up so high that we're just kind of going along for it. I agree that the workman stuff could totally go. There are a lot of yeah, like, scenes why in this was movie it that I'm here? just like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are yeah. We doing here? <laughs> there is uh, a very famous line that we're going to talk about in our bet a little later, mm. but um, where the little girl goes, they're here. And you tell me if this is something that's happened to you in your life, Roxy. I feel like that was one of the very first memes I encountered. Meme. Like, I almost feel like I remember being at family gatherings and, you know, we're waiting for, like, one set of cousins to show up and they're running late. And then when they finally pull up in the driveway, like, I feel like my aunt would, like, turn and just be like, they're here. And, like, it would be, like, this little joke because she heard it in a movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, I can picture that scenario. I don't think I've ever had that happen to me in my mm. life specifically. But, yeah, I could see how it would be one of those things that's sort of ubiquitous. I think... This movie was rated PG, which is insane to me. Like, there's mm-hmm. stories about, you know, people seeing this movie as a child when it came out and being, like, terrified of some of the visuals right. and stuff. Because why is it a PG movie? Like, what the fuck? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> they even show the parents smoking weed and, like, literally <laughs> rolling a joint. And that's still a PG movie somehow in the 80s. Maybe it's because yeah. he reads the Reagan book right after. <laughs> That's true. I mean, a <laughs> lot of references to America, a lot of like uh, national anthems. A yeah, lot of Americana. Reading about it. The TV itself, but, like back then, they keep showing it when the TV, yeah, when programming ended. Like it didn't used to be a twenty-four hour like programming mm. bit where you could have stuff switch on. It would just like end at like I don't know two a.m. or something. And in particular, in this area, I don't know how ubiquitous this was in the entire country. Um, maybe you know, Mikey. Um, but it just like plays the national anthem and shows like the White House and national monuments, and then it just goes to static <laughs> until like whenever the morning news cycle or morning programming yeah. was going to start up, which is crazy to think that like that's how TV used to be. Like what the fuck? Sure. And it's just this weird nationalist, like creepy mm-hmm. thing with the the anthem. Why? <laughs> yeah, I I don't remember how much that or, or remember I wasn't cognizant <laughs> in the eighties. <80s. laughs> um. But I don't know how, like, realistic it is that that happens, but I I feel all of that stuff, all of the Americana references mm-hmm. and visuals are super intentional. I feel like yeah. that's very much what's going on here. The in entire subdivision, the nuclear family, plus, mm-hmm. yeah, they even got the, the suburbs dog. itself. The suburbs yes. are, like, a huge American, like, 80s invention to get us out of the cities. Well, out like, it's, of like, 50s, danger. right? Like, post-World War II is when it, like, really started popping yes, off, yeah, right? And then 80s right. is when it's kind of, like, the... When it's been so fine-tuned to yes. be this thing that it is. Like, it feels like... I don't... I'm gonna say this, and I don't know if it's true. It feels like Ronald Reagan was a product of the suburbs. It's like the suburbs mm. had come to prominence, and that is reflected in the leadership of the time by having Ronald Reagan. This, like, it's morning in America, everything's fine, everything's great, which is... Spoiler... The mentality of the villains in this movie. (laughs) Yep. Sure is. We were talking about how this movie is PG and how shocking Mm -hmm. that was. Yeah. The moment I was really like, I couldn't believe it was a PG movie. Happens almost halfway through the movie. 
and it's where one of these paranormal investigators oh shit yes okay to the mirror and starts picking away his own flesh like it starts out very funny and very in line with what the movie is we start like, seeing like escalating visions like maggots on a chicken yes. leg and Well the very first beat right? is like a steak crawling across the counter. <laughs> that's right. Like and it, and that's like right in line with the movie we have seen thus far. That is funny, it's kind of spooky, but like not really. It feels and cartoony then almost. Yeah. Yeah. And that scene goes hard. Mm-hmm. He starts he finds maggots on the turkey leg he's eating, and then he goes to the sink and starts picking off his own flesh. It's like a really I don't know. It's Schrodinger's bad special effect. It's like, if yeah. I think about it as good, I kind of buy it and like it. So but if I think about is, it as bad, I'm disgusted by it. it. It starts bad when it, like, transitions from the actor to the model that they made. Because it doesn't look like the actor. It looks like a very bad plastic yeah. cast facsimile. But then once it starts digging into it, like, the special effects under it are incredibly yeah. impressive and well done and disgusting. Just ripping the <laughs> flesh off. Seeing the skeleton underneath. (laughs) And it's something that kind of made me feel... I actually texted you about this. Like, is this movie... Like, am I watching the wrong version of this movie? I watched it on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. Oh. It made me feel like the pacing of this movie is off. (laughs) Like, there's... It's not until halfway through the movie that we get a true bit of horror. And it almost feels like from that point on, we get... There's almost nothing gross in the first half of this movie. And once we get that, the gross picking your skin off, from that point on, that's when we start getting a lot more protoplasm. And even the second time that the ghost tried to suck Carol Ann in through the closet, it becomes this, like, slimy web portal as opposed yeah, to just like a organic. glowing light that it was. Exactly. Yeah. We it get giant skeletons. Think... We get this, like, weird wolf-like kind of skeleton with wispy hair. Right. It made me wonder if there's, like, a director's cut of this movie. Like, if this movie was chopped up in post and rearranged Mm. in a way. And I'll tell you my biggest thing that makes me think that is what happened is there's this whole long end of the movie scene that I would absolutely argue, from a story perspective, does not need to be. Uh, Diane has already ventured into the unknown. She has gone through her chain. She has rescued her daughter. And then there's just, like, and they say, the house is clean. And then they just come back and do more ghost stuff kind of for no reason. That oh, scene, I will argue with you about that once we talk about it more. I mean, well, here's the thing. I, I don't want to be- interrupt your thought, but sorry. That's the yeah. best scene in the movie. That feels to me like the scene that should have been our crossing the threshold moment. That should have been the scene where Carol Ann gets sucked in. Because the bodies rising from the pool, like we'd already had all that pool stuff set in, right? Our mom is very afraid that the little girl is going to fall into the pool. So we've been talking about the pool. We're building the pool. Pool, pool, pool. And then if she goes and falls in and there are skeletons in there, it's like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're getting. If Carol Ann is sucked in through a big protoplasm organic opening, it's like, this is the kind of horror we're doing. Like, for that scene to be at the end feels so weird to me, because if it's at the beginning, then I know exactly what kind of movie it is, and it feels like I can just kind of sit in it, and we know what kind of movie we're going to say. What were you going to say? So I think it's like that on purpose, where it makes you think the movie is over, and then it's like, no, the true horror is not over. It was never really just about the kid. It's about this entire spot. It's about the sins that the boss committed on this and how the bodies are buried. Like, the main—the the dad doesn't realize that the bodies are— 
buried under there and all they did is move the tombstones like he confronts the boss and is screaming at him like you only moved the headstones you didn't move the bodies you only moved the headstones and the Mm -hmm. boss you can't tell if he knows or not it seems like he has gotten caught he's basically speechless (laughs) and so this man who is in charge who is like the impetus who caused all this to happen by either being complacent about it and being like i don't fucking care just move the tombstones or he wasn't paying enough attention and then it happened. So it's still his responsibility either way. He is mm-hmm. forced to watch the fallout of what happens, which is literally the house being deleted into the ghost dimension after our family has escaped and been like, fuck this <laughs> suburbia, this town, this job, all of this, not worth it. Just we got to stick together with our family. And that's the most important thing. Our family, mm-hmm. we got the fuck out and we are never going back and fuck that TV. Get it out of mm-hmm. here. <laughs> We're done with TVs for now. I agree with you, and I think all of that stuff is super important. I just don't like it at the end of the movie because it's not coming – and this is, again, a preference of mine more so than it is the way the movie should actually function. But, like, we've already wrapped up the character stuff. If all that stuff was happening, if the boss is confronting it and the house is being deleted right after she's pulling uh, Carol Ann back from the ghost zone, uh, then I'm on board. Because then it's like – because that to me is the end of the character's story. That is when, like, we have seen um, Diane go from a mother who is so afraid to talk about death that she's going to flush the bird and admonish the bird for not dying when her little girl was at school to now she is so comfortable with death that she is willing to cross into the death zone to save her daughter. Like, that arc feels really nice to me. It feels like we're sitting in it. It feels like we've gotten it. And then we get this whole long extended sequence where they're back in danger and they it like it doesn't really play into what well, Diane the thing has is, gone like, through or what Carol has gone through. They saved the daughter, but they didn't close the ghost zone. Like they never did any of that. Their goal, yeah, sure, was to save their daughter, but they didn't really do anything with the ghost zone. It's just like, oh, if the ghost zone was using the daughter as fuel, then theoretically Okay, it should be closed. But they don't know. You don't know what's going on out there. You don't know what's going on in the ghost zone. It's <laughs> hey, it's hubris hey, to I'm think not that- I'm to know what's going on in the ghost zone. I'm a living, yeah. breathing man. Yeah, it's hubris to think that we would know what goes on after death in that way. So it's just kind of like, yeah, there are things beyond your control. There are things that, you know, when you think you're safe, you're probably not. You're Anything could happen at any moment. <laughs> and this is, this is going to kind of get us into the big idea of the movie, I think. But, like, for me, it feels closer to, like, uh, it almost feels like a non sequitur because what I feel like this movie is about is the fear of death that the suburbs and that Americana and putting our faith in Big Daddy Reagan has removed us from. We don't have to be afraid of it. And what uh, the entire family ultimately goes through is this reckoning with like, we can't bury these <laughs> secrets. We can't bury yeah. this idea. We have to confront it. And then they do that. And then that whole post credit sequence is like not tied to that at all. It it well, I think keeps... it does because it 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 then integrates like the capitalistic angle that this is what the entire suburbs, what the entire place is built on, hmm. I guess too. So I think it helps to inform that thought process to be like there are bigger systems at work here. You as an individual, you can take your family and get out, but there's still these systems here that have been set up and like. This house might be the ghost zone portal, but what about the house next door? There's probably bodies buried under their neighbors' houses that they don't know mm. about, and now hopefully they do. 
I guess then, I would say that emotionally I got that surprise. Like, it almost feels like a small little, like, shift from, like, the surprise is when the boss takes him to the graveyard and is like, what if we built you a house here? And he's like, what? On the graveyard? He's like, yeah, we already did it. Like, that's when I got that. I was like, oh, you're history's greatest capitalist. Yeah. <laughs> and therefore villain. Uh, because, like, like I already got that surprise. To me, the the fact that, like, I don't know, it was so weird when Craig T. Nelson was like, you didn't move the bodies. You moved the headstones, but not the bodies. In my head, I was like, didn't you know that? Like, he didn't, somehow though. I already, I know he didn't, but like, yeah. I already like internalized. I was like, oh yeah, I bet there's bodies under the house. I bet that's why it's haunted. Like, it felt like it wasn't that big of a revelation because we kind of already got that. So I think that's probably also like this being a movie of its time period and being something mm. that has been referenced and used and replicated in so many other things like this was in mm. 82 that you probably wouldn't go to think that immediately you know like i don't even know if pet cemetery was out yet with their like specific indian burial ground and whatnot mm -hmm. kind of visual or set piece so i don't know if you would like necessarily think that i do think pet cemetery must have come out because the boss specifically points it out to craig t nelson he's like this is not an indian burial ground that's it's right he does a, uh uh standard <laughs> graveyard <laughs> which and actually I, it won't be haunted i remember when he said that too like you're seeing one of the tombstones very prominently it just says becky no last name just <laughs> becky but Be here lies becky here's a date no last name nobody cares uh becky was here oh i did not catch that it's very funny that <laughs> that's just her identity what was her last name i don't know she was just like my friend becky yeah you know she just, it was like Prince. She just went by one name. She's just <laughs> she Becky. The Becky. Actually, what would you say is the big idea of this movie? What deep human fear is the movie Poltergeist popping at? I mean, I think we kind of dug into this already. It's kind of the uh, complacency of suburbia, how the illusion that you think that you are safe in your own mm -hmm. house behind these locked doors when you're really not. And then the systems that built this thing are, that is supposed to keep you safe are also not keeping you safe either. Mm -hmm. Rampant capitalism is bad, actually, Mike. <laughs> Did uh, you know? It will hurt your family and take them to the ghost zone. <laughs> I didn't think that until I watched Poltergeist. And then I said, this is about capitalism, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I always think that, like, uh, uh, the truly great movies, like, the very first image of the movie will, if it's really focused on structure and telling you what it's going to be about, the very first image of a movie will tell you what the problem is going to be. And the very first thing we see in this movie is the national anthem playing on TV. It's like, yep. oh, this is, I, this was my very first note. I was like, bet we're going to get a critique of America. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when Craig T. Nelson pulls out the Reagan book, I'm like, fellas, uh, uh, new media literacy achievement unlocked. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're, uh, we're sure doing it here. And I think also it speaks to Toby Hooper's sensibilities with Texas Chainsaw Master being like a critique of the meat industry and how humans mm. treat things that we don't see as equals, you know? That sounds right. Actually, Roxy, the moment you said that, I was like, oh, that does make me disbelieve the Steven Spielberg directed it because it is a very, like, yeah. <laughs> scathing indictment on yeah. American culture and capitalism and, like, complacency that... Uh, I think is very clear and uh, fun and evident and like well told, I would argue. Yeah. I think it's like we have that vibe and flavor and soundtrack and characters of Spielberg, but then we've got the underlying like Toby Hooper mm -hmm. creepy ass special effects and theming and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good mixture of the two. And I understand why it gets confused for one or the other, but yeah. Roxy, 
let's give this movie a thumb rating. And remember, we can give up to five thumbs because we have this big box of severed hands here. How many thumbs up would you give this movie? I gave it four thumbs up. Four thumbs up. Yeah, I really like this movie. It has like a very fun nostalgic vibe, even though like I wasn't alive in this specific time period. Like just watching mm-hmm. it makes you feel nostalgic no matter how old you are. I, I would like to show this movie to like a Zoomer kid and see how they feel about it. That's a good idea. I, I bet they get the same kind of vibe. It, it has like a magical quality in that way, I think. Yeah, to, to it make does you... feel timeless. Even yeah, though it's about a very specific time in American culture yeah i think it just does a very good job making you feel nostalgic even though it was a time you didn't live in kind of like a liminal Mm -hmm. space sort of thing right and a lot of the special effects really hold up and other ones don't but Mm -hmm. uh you know i it was very impressive and fun to look at soundtrack's great apparently it got nominated that year and only lost out Mm. to et's soundtrack for an academy award that year unbelievable so yeah, I, it's a fun time all around. I watched this movie with like a bunch of folks on my Discord, actually, and we all mm-hmm. had a fun time watching it together. It's a great movie to watch by yourself with other folks. Uh, yeah. Four out of five, Mikey. What about you? I'm close. I'm giving it three out of five thumbs. So Okay. Uh, I'm going to take one of these hands. Uh, just cut this thumb in half. I'm giving it Wait. three and a half thumbs. Oh, three and a half. Okay, we can do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Noted. Roxy, you can do whatever you want with these hands. They've already been severed. Oh, sure. Desecrating corpses. The all in days work for scary basement dwelling. <laughs> uh, I liked Poltergeist a lot. I, like there are a bunch of scenes that I like I wrote down numerous times like this is my favorite scene. This is my and it's a lot from the beginning. <laughs> There's this weird little exchange where all three kids are at the di- breakfast table and one of them goes like, ask dad. And the other one makes fun of him and goes, ask dad. Ask dad. Yeah, they're like <laughs> chanting <laughs> it. Yeah. And I was just like, yep, this is how families work. This is delightful. I love this movie so much. I just think it's paced so weirdly. I think it takes like these long stretches where it's like this fun family movie. And then it's like, it almost feels like a punch in the gut when it all of a sudden becomes a gory horror movie. I think the ending for me, like as we... Uh, went on about the ending for me like uh is just kind of a non sequitur so i took some points off but some thumbs off i should say but three and a half thumbs oh it's way better than 50 percent. it's teetering into good maybe even great yeah i thought it, it was a delight uh roxy do you have a question for me i do so our our main dad here he's a uh realtor he's in the realty business so mm-hmm. When you buy a house, you have to disclose if, like, a murder happened in it or if it's reported as haunted uh, Mm -hmm. in some states in America. So if you got a really good deal on your dream house, Mikey, but there was a mass murder in it and people claim the house is haunted, would you still buy it? I would take into account. I would take out my little um, financial planning book, you know, my Mm -hmm. ledger. And I would uh, write down the the good deal I'm getting. And then I would figure out how much it costs to bring in a really good psychic. And I would Ah. build that into my housing budget. Just like you would, how much is it going to cost to get the the basement support struts reinforced? How much is it going to cost to get the deadly electricity wire out of the pool? I would just build that into the standard home buying price. And then I would make that assessment, presumably with my partner, either business or life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and make a call the answer is probably yes yeah i think, I think it would be hard to get the bank to approve that a uh, psychic byline in the loan that you would have to take out but i think you could make a good case for it it feels like if you got a chance to swoop in on your dream house you take it you just gotta take it yeah 
How about you? For me personally, since I don't believe in ghosts, the ghost thing what? wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Roxy, I'm looking at a ghost right now. What do you mean you don't believe in ghosts? They're here. I believe they're making the, themselves evident. It's because they're in the scary basement, though, Mikey. Ghosts got exist it. here in the scary in, basement. Got it. Got it. Got it. You don't believe um, in them outside the the uh, the one place where they're allowed to exist. <laughs> So I don't know if you've heard about this uh, paranormal home inspector show, but basically it will have a guy who's a home inspector go in and be like, oh, yeah, that that draft is caused by uh, bad insulation here. Oh, yeah, that Mm. door creaking open. It's because they didn't set the door in right. Oh, this thing turning off and on. It's because the wires are frayed. So it makes me think Mm. if people think the house is being haunted, it's actually just got like shit wiring or plumbing or something and think uh-huh. about how much money it would be to replace all of that. It's not really your dream house <laughs> if you have to pay double. It's not really a deal if you're going to have to pay mm-hmm. double in repairs. So I'd say, yep. not ghost, but if bad, not my dream house, I guess. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy gives it a thumbs down. I uh, do. Sorry, home sellers. You're going to have to look elsewhere. <laughs> uh, I'm pitching a reality show. Oh, great. Okay, I'm the main character. It's, uh, okay. it's this couple who is investing in real estate, and they go and look at haunted houses and decide if they're a good deal or not. And there you go. Hey, I'd watch it. That actually does sound like something I'd watch. No joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale from one to nine, with one being unlikely to happen, nine being very likely to happen, and not ten because ten does not exist in the scary basement, how likely are the events of Poltergeist, do you think, to happen in real life? Oh, I said nine out of nine. Nine out of nine! Companies cutting corners to make a profit at the expense of safety, research, Mm -hmm. or respect for other people. Nine out of nine. (laughs) Every day. Happening. Yep. What about you? Uh, I also reference that. I do think that is a very realistic aspect of this movie. (laughs) But I did give it a six. Okay. uh, Because of the ghost things. Because of the ghost stuff. (laughs) Okay. There's just a lot of different kinds of ghosts. Mm -hmm. And they're doing different things. They're behaving different ways. And plus... The Beast? I don't know. It just, uh, it's a hat on a hat. A lot of weird things happening all at once. So, I don't know. Give it a six. Okay. Fair. (laughs) You sound sad about that. No, it's fair. Matter of fact, more like. Mm. Roxy, (laughs) last week, we made a bet. We asked, when does the famous, they're here, line take place in the movie? What did you say? I said 20 minutes. Hmm. I said 30 minutes in. Okay. And by a hair, you snuck it in. It happens Ooh. at 2440. Oh my God, seriously. Yep. 20 seconds was the decider. 20 seconds. Ugh. Man. So great work, bet wise. Hell yeah. I, I win. Proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm proud of me too. All right, Mikey, it's time to open the interview tomb where we will meet someone who has something to do with the movie Poltergeist. I'm excited to see who it is. All right, let's open it up. Jesus, Roxy, it's the giant skeleton for Poltergeist. Who dares disturb my slumber? Uh, hi, we were just hoping to talk to you about the movie Poltergeist? Sure, I'd love to chat. Thank you for not being so scared of me. Most people get really scared of me when I come through a door. Look at all big and giant like this. No problem. You know, you're pretty reasonable, all things considered. Um, okay, so my big question is, what's with all that ectoplasm? Kind of gross. Ectoplasm? I don't follow. 
you know, ectoplasm, that gloopy red stuff that everything coming out of the ghost zone was all slathered in. Oh, you must mean that tasty, tasty strawberry jam. It's jam? Anything coming from one realm to the other comes out covered in strawberry jam. We take the children who come through the gate, wipe it off, wipe off all their strawberry jam and eat it all up. Nummy, 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 num. Your existence about, is about collecting strawberry jam off of children. It wasn't about collecting their life force? Nope, jam. Also, we bake little cookies and other treats. Then we exchange those sugary snacks for goods and services. I'm sorry, is food like your money? Icky, no. Only sweets. Tasty little yum-yum treats. Ooh, I love to put them in my tummy. Now, I'm no economist. Don't you want your money, you know, out there in circulation? Yeah, why would you eat your money? You know, then it just goes away? But eating nice yum yum treats makes me happy. Does your money make you happy? Yeah, not really. I kind of just start stressing out about how I have to spend it or how little I have of it. So who's the idiot here? Hey, great point. Okay, so your money is strawberry jam. How do you earn it? I wake up every morning, kiss my wife, feed the kids breakfast, and go off to work. My work is abducting children. It ain't fun, but it puts jelly on the table, which I then eat. Ooh, it's so tasty, yum yum. But if your money is being eaten, how do you build wealth? Yeah, don't you want something to leave behind for your kids? Funny you should ask. My aunt just left us a great big chocolate cake. Ooh, I ate it so fast I got a great big tummy ache. Ouch, you. You can't really retire then, can you? Like, are your sweet treats going to last your entire life? Yeah, what's the end game here? Do you have a jelly savings account? No, but it is said that eventually you eat enough sweets to become satiated, and then you move on to the other side. Has that ever happened to anyone you know? No, but it doesn't stop some of us from trying. I get it. We got billionaires here, too. Ooh, someone left a ding-dong on the counter. I'm gonna go eat it up, yum-yum. Bye-bye. Well, he's a sweet little skeleton guy. I liked him. He's just a big little guy. Wants a treat. Speaking of a big little guy, here comes the demon bot, who's much bigger than you would expect him to be. Getting your chassis? How tall is the demon bot, would you say? Six foot? Seven foot? Are we talking today or always? Does he have a new chassis today? Well, yes. He's constantly shifting and growing larger and smaller based on how afraid of him we are. <laughs> okay, so it's a psychological aspect, yeah. I see. <laughs> I change my chassis daily. Do you wear the same clothes every day? Mortals are so strange. Anyway... For next week, you must watch the 1997 film Wishmaster or your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. All right, Roxy, we got it. Wishmaster is on the docket. Oh my gosh, Wish Wishmaster. Okay, this is going to be fun. You love it. I've never seen it. I saw it a long time ago, but I remember like weird parts of it to be like, the this is an insane movie. Uh, <laughs> I think the part of you that loves uh, Hellraiser is going to particularly love it. Fuck, yes. Okay, great, great. We, of course, have to make a bet about this movie for next week. What should we do? Yeah, so how about the bet for Wishmaster is how many total wishes are there in the entire movie? Mm. Every time somebody makes a wish. So 
there's gotta there's gotta be a lot. And I imagine at the end there'll be probably like a run of wishes where somebody realizes, oh, we can just make more wishes. Uh, I'm gonna say eight wishes. Made okay. Total. Yeah, I really can't remember, so I'm gonna say five. 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 All right, the bet's locked in. All right. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things. Ghosts. Sure have. Poltergeists. Mm-hmm. Demons. Uh-huh. Bots. Yep. Let's end by talking about something that makes us happy for once. How does that sound? That sounds amazing. All right. Roxy, what's making you happy this week? So the thing that's making me happy this week is video game related. It's a big surprise, it. right? So the game that's making me happy is Penny Blood, which is not a game that's out yet. It's a game that is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, as of the uh-huh. recording of this, um, it closes in like five days. But it is a spiritual successor to one of my favorite PlayStation 2 era game series of all time, Shadow Hearts. So they've got Ooh. like a bunch of folks from the original games coming and doing this. The combat looks like it's very inspired. They got the art character mm-hmm. uh, designer is the art director. They've got the director. Super fun. It's like a horror JRPG that manages to marry a lot of comedy and a lot of scary things and a lot of heartwarming things very well. In, like, mm-hmm. a way that shouldn't feel like it works, but yet it it does. Mm-hmm. They've got, like, a wrestling character, a wolf that can, like, do duels with other wolves, <laughs> a guy who, like, has a little doll that attacks for him, like a Geppetto-type guy who uses his puppet <laughs> to injure things. Like, they have these very wacky out there cast members that you end up just really caring about they're very fun Hmm. so i'm excited to see what this new game the team is going to be doing and the kickstarter is already beyond it's been voted or not voted sorry it's been backed like almost three times the amount oh great so i can't wait to see it i it feels like a game i never thought would ever happen it's like what 20 years or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) since the original shadow hearts and shadow hearts 2 came out Getting a sequel to the, these classic games, virtual sequel, I guess. I'm I'm beyond the moon excited about it, my game. Oh, I love that for you. And also, I love the idea of having a Geppetto type become just an archetype that we see in, yeah. in every movie and video game moving forward. <laughs> if only. What about you, Mikey? What's making you happy this week? Roxy, last night I went to a uh, pro wrestling event. Ooh-hoo. GCW, Game love- Changer Wrestling. You love pro wrestling, Mikey. I love pro wrestling, and I love, like, I've only been to, like, four or five pro wrestling shows in my entire life. Mm. And it was so fun. It was so cool to see wrestlers. I had, like, very close seats. Uh, and I did tweet, uh, we'll link the tweet in the show notes, uh, a video I took of two luchadors doing bonkers lucha moves. It is amazing. It looks like they should have broken each other's necks, like, five times, and the yes. necks of the crowd. It's... It's a very impressive video. It's one of those things where, like, uh, you know pro wrestling is fake and planned out. And yet, as I was watching so many of these matches, I was, like, gasping and worried for these people. I mean, the acrobatics are real and something could go wrong. Like, they're still pulling off these moves even if they're not hurting each other, you know? (laughs) And it, But they've found a way to make it look so real Mm. uh, in certain ways. Like, it almost becomes, like, its own vocabulary where... uh, 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 a kick that we know wouldn't sound like that. They will like slap their leg and it just like reads as the sound effect of the yeah. kick hitting the head. Wrestling is fun. Wrestling is great. Everyone should like wrestling forever. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite. All right. But now it's not time to talk about wrestling. It's time to do haunted plugs. Roxy, where can people out there find you on the internet? So I am on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy. I am also on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy. 
I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. I'm streaming Mondays and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Also, make sure that you give us five stars. Five scary stars. On your favorite podcast app. Or maybe you leave a review. That would be nice. And finally, remember to share. And scare. This scary podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots.